Super Talk Mississippi media production. In Mississippi, with our ever-changing weather, termites and household pests can disrupt your family life and take a toll on your home. Call Family Termite and let us help protect your home. 601-933-1014. Or reach us at www.family-termite.com. What is up on a Wednesday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey, my co-conspirator, as always... It is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Wednesday, January 15th. I got that one pretty quick. Edition of the Rebel Report podcast. Got a lot going on today. Uh, Ole Miss had a basketball game last night, fell to 9-7, and 0-3 oh after they got routed by Florida. They were pretty shorthanded, lost a couple of starters. We'll get into that some. Uh, first podcast, it's the national title game, so I'm sure we've got some thoughts on that. Weird shit happening in baseball, and then a coaching search that would make all Miss's 2017 search look competent. Uh, that just ended in Bobby Petrino getting another head coaching job. I don't know. Have you been keeping up with this? Uh, I only saw last night that you had dueling reports. It was Football Scoop that said it was going to be Art Bryles. It was some local guy in St. Louis that said it was going to be Bobby Petrino, and that, that's the first time I learned of uh, Missouri State's coaching search existing but um it just goes to show you no matter what your past is if you're good enough at coaching this sport an opportunity is going to come your way yeah exactly so uh i've got some thoughts on that later i guess for uh for starters i guess we can dig into the basketball game last night because there's not a whole lot to dig into but i guess we can knock that out uh right now did you watch this i watched I would say 95% of it. I watched the first half up here in the studio and then went to Walmart to get some groceries during halftime and got back to the house with like 14, 15 minutes left. So I missed like five minutes of the game. But at that point, it didn't really matter because you knew what was going to happen. But Ole Miss loses 71-55 at Florida. I thought actually hung in the game uh, fairly well for what they were dealing with. They were down Bree and Tyree, who did not play uh, due to a lower back contusion. Uh, and then Hadim C. did not make the trip as a coach's decision. Uh, I have a recap up at supertalk.fm if you'd like to read that. From everything I'm being told, it had to do with him just skipping a meeting. A uh, team-related meeting uh, is really all I can really definitely confirm uh, as of right now. So that that doesn't seem like a good sign, given that's a guy at his third school in as many years. But anyway, 71-55, just, did you watch this? General thoughts? Uh, yeah, it, and the outcome was predetermined. I, I mean, without it, Florida was so much better than Ole Miss, no matter what, down low anyway with Blackshear and company. Uh, the, just the difference in size between the two teams is going to be a matchup issue, even at full strength. So a tough ask, even with Tyree, and uh, even though he hasn't been great, uh, C as well. Uh, without those two guys, you knew exactly how this game was going to go, and it's how it went. Although, I, I guess. I don't know if it's positives or not, but you did have K.J. Buffin and you did have Blake Henson score at a pretty good volume and do it efficiently, which is what this team, when Tyree comes back, uh, you need the, if they're going to do anything at all, um, which at this point I guess the goal would be to maybe host an NIT game because they're not making the NCAA tournament. It certainly doesn't feel like that's going to happen. No, um, I mean, you have to get on some sick run. Yeah, and it just... If that happens, you know, good for them, but it certainly doesn't feel like that's happening. Uh, those two guys need to continue to play the way they did uh, last night. But on the flip side, Schuler, when it was kind of not his team, but the two guards were always supposed to drive the team, and then you lose one, and Schuler just kind of didn't show up, doesn't play confidently right now. I don't know if it's uh, maybe that nagging injury that's bothering him, but. Um, without Tyree, you would like to see him take more than seven shots in the game. Yeah, absolutely. You hit on it earlier with Buffin and Henson. Henson Buffin finishes with 20 on five of eight shooting, got to the free throw line 11 times, made 10 of them. Henson had 16 on six of 14 shooting. He made a couple early triples, a couple early baskets, and really kind of uh, kind of cooled off after that because I think uh, 13 of the 16 came in the first half. And this is an estimation here, but I would guess eight of 10 of the 13 that he scored came in the first like seven minutes, six minutes, yeah. something like that. So he, he started that off a quick well. early run. They dug into a hole and then I think they took the lead at one point, right? They had a one point lead, I believe. Yeah, um, I mean, to 12, they were in this game for 12 minutes, maybe even a little bit longer than that. They had a lead 
you know, 27, 26, something like that, like seven, eight minutes left in the first half. And then really just kind of ran out of gas and they couldn't defend Florida on the interior at all without C. I mean, you, it was very obvious. Florida was like, it was, you know, their sole mission was to kind of either get the ball inside or have their guards get to the rack. Cause Ole Miss is not very good defending off the bounce, but you know, but to your point, your, your first point that you made, that is a good sign for Ole Miss because as we've talked about on this show before, you know, I think the biggest thing holding this back, this team back, and there's a number of things, is really just those two sophomores not making jumps to consistent, being consistent scorers or consistent offensive options. And it goes to the defensive end as well because after Saturday's loss to Arkansas, I mean, Kermit Davis came out and said, said I can't play those two at the same time. They make too many defensive mistakes. Like, I just can't do it. Uh, and they need C back there as well. So, like, any hope of a small ball lineup uh, really isn't an option, though they didn't really have a choice last night. But, so like, that, that re- when you're already shorthanded and you have a bench that doesn't really contribute that much, like, having two of your better, you thought would be your better players uh, on the wing and, you know, in the front court as well, not being able to play them at the same time is seems problematic. So, that was certainly a good sign. And then, they, like you, I mean, like you said, they just didn't really have a chance without their leading score, and really their only post presence last night. Uh, that yeah, Sammy Car- Hunter stat line is unbelievable. Let's I mean, see. How can you play 18 minutes and not have a single rebound and have more fouls than points in 18 minutes? <laughs> yeah. I mean that's that's a sign that's that you're hard not to do confidently on the offensive end, and that you're just getting driven at defensively, and you're not doing a whole lot about it. Uh, his, he did have the uh, he did have the best plus. This is kind of shows you why plus minus isn't always the best set to use. He did have the best plus minus on the team of a net zero, even. Uh, but I, I'm not sure how much stock I'd put <laughs> into that. Uh, they did dust off Carlos Curry who I thought in very small spurts, and again, this is kind of a low bar, gave them okay minutes. He scored four points in 17 minutes. I mean, really nothing to write home about. But that was really the first time you'd seen him in extensive action. That was the first time he'd played double-digit minutes since Western Michigan, which was either the second or third game of the year. I can't remember. It was November 15th. And it was really, there's only one other time this year he'd played more than, like, two. So, like, I mean, a guy that you really just never used until the end of games or you know, garbage time or whatever or for special situations that had to play. That's a big 6'11 body they were thought they could count on this year, and it just hasn't happened. So, you know, they got Bryce Williams back. They, I thought they, you know, I mean, it's weird. Uh, like, it sounds like I'm putting a spin on it. I thought they fought okay. Like, for a team that doesn't always kind of have the best body language and effort, I thought they fought okay. They were just way overmatched. Yeah, and that's that's just kind of the deal here with this game, right? I mean, I guess we could spend another 30 minutes on it, but when you were down those yeah, two yeah. guys, it's – I mean, you know, it, it's it, – I love how – and I do it too. Everybody starts with, oh, I hate to say this, but it is what it is. Every time somebody says that, they preface it with, I hate to say this, but it's kind of true. It, they, it was a tough ask anyway, down two guys. I mean, you got a couple of – uh, bright spots from two guys that have struggled this year, uh, had to play some dudes that you don't want to play, uh, rest up, get healthy, hopefully by Saturday when you have – it's not a must win because they're not making the tournament, but a, a game that, that you can win at home on Saturday to maybe get yourself back on track. Yeah, it, absolutely. It's it's interesting because, like, yeah, they're in a really bad spot. But, I mean, and I, I don't foresee this happening. I think this team is going to struggle – but there have been instances. I mean, this is kind of what makes college basketball interesting in the sense is you can go on runs. I mean, you let's say they pop off four or five in a row. Say you win four in a row. Now you're four and three and 13 and seven, and you still have a long way to go. But that's an entirely different conversation. You know, I mean, it's, they're, they're not completely sunk yet, but they're, they're getting there. And I think Saturday is probably the game to where – you either kind of right the ship a little bit and kind of at least stay in the fight a little bit longer. I think if you live Saturday, uh, you got a chance to enter a pretty dramatic free fall because the schedule uh, really, really stiffens up. You know, really kind of starting. It started this week, but definitely Saturday with an LSU team that is now four and zero in the SEC. Because what's interesting, as bad as they looked in that A and M game, uh, 
Kermit Davis said after the game, or he may have said at his Thursday availability, that A&M, he said, they're playing better, and you, you know, thought it was a little bit of coach speak or whatever, but he's kind of right. I don't know if you saw that score last night. A&M got down huge early uh, and then just torched LSU in the second half, had a chance to win the game in regulation, wasn't able to do it, and lost in overtime. But you know they were a couple dribbles or a shot away from being 3-0 and in the SEC, which is kind of shocking because that Ole Miss-Texas uh, uh, A&M game was one of the harder basketball watches of the season. So, you know, they're, they're still I think it was John it. Gassaway last night, by the way, that said so. I think it was him uh, that said somehow, some way, we have to get sixty-eight teams to make the tournament. Uh, so apparently, the bubble is. I mean, it's always bad, but uh, I guess this year it's especially bad, where there's going to be nobody that separates themselves at this point. So I mean, it's not going to happen. It certainly doesn't feel like it. But uh, crazier things have happened. Uh, they got to win Saturday if they want that to, to be the case. But yeah, college basketball just not good across the board right now. I mean, I saw people. I think it was Hugh Kellenberger also was involved in the conversation. I don't know much about college basketball to tell you the truth. Outside of Ole Miss and Mississippi State, I don't really watch it all that much. I just think it's a bad product. Uh, apparently, the the top of college hoops is awful this year. Yeah, I mean it. It is. It's kind of. I mean, it's. It's been reflected. That has been reflected by the revolving door at number one. There's not really one single great team. There's not a whole lot of star power. I mean, you lost Cole Anthony. You lost James Wiseman. I mean, Anthony Edwards is kind of the best thing you got going in the sport. There's a couple of teams that are kind of veteran driven that are really. There's, I would say, twelve to fifteen teams, maybe even more than that that appear to be good or have the ability to be really, really good. But there's not really one far and away team that's good, and that's good, I guess, from a parity standpoint. It'll make the NCAA tournament interesting just because the NCAA tournament is kind of a spectacle in and of itself. But, like, as far as, like, following the regular season, there's just not a lot of star power storylines. I mean, you really got to kind of be a college hoops junkie to enjoy this type of season. But to your point about, like, it's probably not – we just kind of outlined the case of how Ole Miss has a chance to kind of stay in the fight this Saturday. But, you know, the case against that and what I think is going to – what's actually going to happen and the reason they won't is this team appears to have chemistry issues. Uh, I mean, the the -the off-the-court stuff with Hadeem C, does it – I mean, that's not exactly a ringing endorsement of this team kind of showing up ready to play all the time. Granted, that's just one guy, but they seem to have – like, sometimes they lack vocal leadership on the court. And you mentioned Shuler – He'd like to see him score more and take more shots last night. Uh, I agree. He's a point guard of your team. He is like for a team that really struggles to move the ball. He does kind of facilitate most of that. I mean, when he's not ha- when he doesn't have it in his hands, the ball definitely seems to stick or when he's not on the floor, but he's not really like designed. And this isn't a knock on him. It's just kind of the way he's built. He's not really an alpha male in the sense that he's not going to kind of lead your team, whether it be scoring, whatever, He's going to run the show, do what needs to be done at point guard. I don't know if it's the foot, but like he does, he doesn't seem to be cut out to kind of be the leader of the team. You know, kind of comes and goes for Bree and Tyree. They just don't really. They seem to me they have, they have some chemistry issues in terms of just how it's meshing on the floor, and they don't really have uh, any vocal leadership to kind of rectify that off the floor. Uh, you know, there's been some rumblings of 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 that in practice and other things. So. I, the re, the, I guess what I'm saying is the case against it is this team seems to have some chemistry issues. Yeah, and um, no Terrence Davis either. Hey, hey, last year's run obviously was was remarkable. It really was. Uh, I mean, they had no business making the tournament. There's a reason they were picked to finish dead last in the SEC. But I think I said it on Monday, so uh, I'm not. I don't have very much depth and thought. But uh, what Terrence Davis is doing in the NBA kind of underscores the fact that. Uh, it's a huge loss, more than we probably even thought going into the season. He didn't carry them, per se, last year, but um, having one NBA player on a college basketball team can be the difference between you having a tournament team and you being really bad. Uh, I mean, one guy can carry you like that. And maybe that's that's how simple it was a year ago, because they were bad in the post. You know, you had Tyree, who was great, and Schuler. Uh, got injured in in spots, and Henson played well as a freshman, and Buffin did some good things. But you had an NBA player on your team, and now you don't. I'm not. I'm yeah. oversimplifying it, but an NBA player can be the difference in having a tournament team 
the way they did last year and not the way they do this year because there's not a single guy on that team right now that's playing in the NBA. Yeah, no, absolutely. And he was another – I mean, he was a good wing defender. You know, his scoring kind of spoke for itself. But, like, that also took responsibility off Tyree and Schuler, where Tyree could kind of just play off the ball. He didn't really have to elevate anyone around him. He could just kind of score. And then Schuler was kind of the most invaluable cog on that team last year because of his ability to play point guard and just kind of run the show. And now with TD gone, you know, both of those guys, uh, Tyree – it's Schuler have kind of shouldered more responsibility, and it, it's, it's carrying a weight. Then you add an injury in there, and they're playing a ridiculous amount of minutes, and it's all just trickled into whatever this is. So it looks like they got a long year ahead of it, but it'll be, you know, if they are going to write the ship, I guess it would it would start Saturday. I'll have uh, uh, Bracken Ray on probably just as a standalone tomorrow. I was going to get him on for today's show, but he had to switch times because he had the audacity to have a day job. So I will uh, probably <laughs> How dare record, he? yeah, I'll probably record that this afternoon and put that out Thursday, uh, which has basically turned into me. I have all these like working theories uh, about like why this team stinks, but Bracken, who actually has worked in the coaching industry for a while, uh, can actually explain to me what I'm actually seeing and uh, always a good smart interview. So I'll probably throw that up Thursday, so we'll have like a short special Thursday pod before we get into everything on friday so that really about sums things up we'll get into some of that more on thursday uh where else should we go from here should we hit the national title game i guess first i should tell you the podcast brought to you by lb's university avenue across from kroger go see greg uh since there's only two games i don't know if i'm gonna call greg this week i might just get his uh his, his picks on paper and just have him uh dole out the cash to you three one, three and one week last week for uh for Greg, and if he, depending on where he'd, if he'd actually taken the points in Seattle, depending on what you got it at, he might have been four and zero. So you know, best place in Oxford to go get meat, go see him. They've got plate lunches, daily specials, the Lane Kiffin special, eight ounce bacon wrap fillet, Keith Carter special, six ounce bacon wrap fillet. Uh, baseball season's coming up. He's got all kinds of sausages. He's got the baseball game day pack. Uh, so go see him. All kinds of good stuff in there. Really appreciate Greg. Uh, national title thoughts. We did this on radio pretty much for like two hours yesterday, but uh, not on this show. So LSU beats Clemson 42-25. I got about halfway into that Ross Dellinger story last night that you were telling me about and then actually fell asleep reading it. (laughs) But a... uh, And that that is... It was a fascinating story. I was just reading it at 11.30 at night. Just a long read, man. Yeah. Yeah. At 11.30 at night, uh, I'm actually looking forward to finishing that once we get done this morning. But hell of a story for Rajon. Uh, I get that Ole Miss people like don't necessarily buy into their redemption story. I think it's awesome. I, I think Ed kind of learning and turning into who he is after just such an abject disaster, uh, you know, in, in his early 30s and flaming out at a major program as bad as you can flame out. I think that's a cool story because, I mean, it, it seems to be completely like he's grown. It seems like he's grown up a lot. He's figured out how to harness you know, whatever energy would make him want to rip his shirt off and challenge his players to a fight or run a full-on practice during a rain delay before uh, you play a non-conference game against an ACC team. Like, all of those things he seemed to have channeled and kind of learned from, and it resulted in they are probably one of the best college teams ever. I mean, we had that debate on the show yesterday, and I kind of sided with 2010 Auburn. I think you did too, just because Cam didn't have much help around him. But, like, that I, I, that was not in an effort to shortchange LSU. They, they're probably one of the best teams ever. They are. And, and uh, I think it was Haydad that pointed to 2001 Miami. And I think that's in part because of what all of those guys became and not who they were at the time. We don't know who uh, all these LSU guys are going to become. I mean, Burrow's going to be the number one overall pick, but we have no idea what kind of pro Edward C. Lair is going to be or Grant Delpit or anybody in my lifetime, which isn't as long as he and Richards, uh, I mean, you know, they've got 15 years on me. There is no team that has dominated a league as good as the SEC the way LSU has. They have more ranked wins at the end of the season, not at the time, at the end of the season, than anybody has ever had in the history of the sport. Ever. So, I mean, I think they belong up there. And it's always splitting hairs because of eras and stuff like 95 Nebraska. Well, this LSU team would beat the brakes off of 95 Nebraska. They just would. Uh, the athleticism 
the size and speed ratio, even from 95 to now, is so drastically different that it wouldn't be close. Um, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I mean, I, I was just saying you're exactly right. I mean, I, 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 you know, it's hard to compare eras because kind of like the NBA, different games, different things people did. But I, I just I can't imagine LSU running five wide on Nebraska and them handling that very well. Granted, no. I was, you know, was zero to one years old when Nebraska was at its peak. But I, I just I have a hard time believing that they would you know, be able to defend uh, Chase and all of those guys they have at receiver. And the redemption story is a good one, man. It is a good one. Ole Miss people hate him. But I don't think they hate him as much as they hate what happened while he was the coach, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely. I, I would agree with that. But it's a cool story. Clemson was in the game for you know most of the game. They were up 17-7. And the, you know, I would say where the game changed more than anything was – they're up seventeen to seven with like ten minutes, twelve minutes to go in the uh, in the half, and you know LSU rattles off three straight touchdowns, and it's kind of like, oh wow, like wh- how did that happen? Because not only did they rattle three straight, they got the ball after halftime, and granted, Clemson got a stop, but they were playing behind pretty much. I mean, really for the entire game after that, they didn't lead again, and uh, Trevor Lawrence was bad, and I imagine from uh, like I. I already saw Skip Bayless, who tuned into, I guess, his second or third college game of the year, talk about how he take Burrow over Lawrence and all those hot takes. I mean, you know, you got to oh, give a lot of credit God. to the LSU defense for for making him look human. But like, I mean, the guys had one bad game and just lost his first game since he was like a, a junior in high school. I, I think Trevor Lawrence is probably going to be okay. Yeah, I mean, he'll be the number one overall pick next year, and deservedly so. He he had and to as you said, to LSU's credit, but he looked like he was pressing a little bit. And maybe he was or maybe he wasn't. I, just when you have 11 overthrows, and some of them were bad overthrows, uh, that kind of stuff comes when somebody is, uh, they're either pressing or rushing. More technical than I just was, but that's really what you get with overthrows is they're rushing passes and the footwork's not good. They're pressing or they're just trying to throw the football too hard. And whatever the case was, that was a little surprising though, because he's been in these moments and maybe just LSU had a really good plan. And so he was uncomfortable or he just had an off night, but people are pointing to the, well, the, the ACC didn't prepare them for that game. And I I do agree with that to a point. However, um, he was excellent against Ohio state. Two weeks ago in a playoff game that last year as a true freshman, he was excellent against Alabama in the championship game. So even though Burrow and LSU were tested more, it's not like Clemson and Trevor Lawrence have never at all been in these moments or tested whatsoever. I mean, Lawrence off night. Yeah, he looked flawless—not flawless, but he looked damn good against Alabama in the championship game last year. My theory was, without having gone and back and watched the 2018, or I guess it was technically 2019 title game, you get what I'm saying. Clemson, Alabama last year was that it seemed like LSU got to Lawrence more, uh, and you know it was an interesting. Uh, you know, everyone talked about the chess match going on between Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables and LSU at the line and Joe Burrow at the line of scrimmage, and that really. For someone that is not exactly an all twenty-two junkie, it really was the case because you saw early in the game, uh, you know, Clemson was playing that three-one-seven. You know, they were kind of co- trying to confuse Burrow from where blitzes were coming from, and you saw kind of single rushers coming in free at Burrow, uh, you know, and getting pressure on him, and then he kind of figured it out after two or three really poor possessions. But it was kind of the same thing the other way. I thought I thought LSU kind of did a nice job of getting to Clemson and switching up blitz packages, and I think. A lot of the reasons for the overthrows was he got pressured a lot more than he has in his career. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just didn't feel like Alabama got to him the way, the way that uh, the way that LSU did. And then I I was actually not a fan of Clemson's play calling, like particularly early in the game. Every time they gave the ball to ETN, seemed like something really awesome happened. And then they would just throw it three times in a row with Lawrence, and then punt once they got into plus territory. Did you notice that? I didn't understand that. Yeah, they didn't use him as much as they should have. Uh, I mean, only 15 carries in the game for a guy that was running the way he was. And I guess when you're playing from behind, you have to throw the football a little bit. But as you mentioned, they weren't really playing from behind all that much. No, and I mean, the game was a marathon. I mean, 
Clemson had a 10-point lead in the second quarter and were went to halftime trailing by double digits. Like, playing from behind in college football, unless you're in the fourth quarter, doesn't really mean a whole lot unless you're down, you know, in the 17 to 21 range, 24, whatever. So I, I didn't understand that. I was like, that was kind of one of the things I wrote down while watching the game was every time they gave the ball to ETN, and then even when they did, they'd get too cute with it. I was like, this guy is getting, he's almost like not like Derrick Henry, but in the sense of like the way he was running into the line of scrimmage, he's getting four, five, six yards every time he touched it. Like, what's the need to give him on a delay or some cute little screen or shuttle? How about just hand it to him and let him run? I, I, that seemed like a good strategy to me. I, I didn't understand that part. And then, you know, I don't know. LSU just was better. Clemson, you know, they got a couple breaks. Uh, Clemson got kind of hosed on that PI call late in the game. I, uh, I guess my referee complaint with this game is one. I don't know why Pac-12 officials were allowed to do this game. They're notoriously the worst in a sea of bad college officials. And then the targeting, I've been vocal and pretty consistent the whole time. I think an ejection for targeting is dumb. I don't really get what that accomplishes. Like, it doesn't make a player want to do it any less. I think a 15-yard Especially that one. Like, what happened with Oklahoma and LSU, I'm I'm fine with that dude. I don't remember his name getting ejected for his hit on Edwards Hilaire because that was simply – trying to hurt somebody. I don't know if you remember that hit or if you, it was when the game was already in doubt. But That's a, that's an interesting point because they talk about how intent doesn't matter. Maybe you should leave it up to subjectivity intent when it's talking about an injection. Like, judge intent and then judge whether you're going to flag him 15 or flag him 15 and kick the dude out. Yeah, and, and it's so simple. Like, And I tweeted this. And it, sometimes uh, my tweets are a little stronger than the actual opinion. But, like, the, the guy had to do the walk of shame in the national championship game because a bunch of suits in a boardroom somewhere couldn't use their brains and have like a targeting one and a targeting two because he didn't even hit the guy in the head. Yeah, like his head was lowered and you don't, you try to encourage not to hit that way. But also when you have to full on extend your body to get to the ball carrier, your head has to go down because I've said before on this podcast, anatomy doesn't allow your head to be up when you're trying to dive and tackle at somebody. Like, you can't pick your head up with the helmet and the shoulder pads, and he had one of those we- – I mean, that was a weird cowboy collar that dude's wearing. Um, he he like can't a, look I up. I said it was a satellite dish on his neck. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it looks like. But you can't keep your head up while being parallel to the ground. He didn't hit the guy in the head. He hit him in the chest. And he gets ejected for that and has to be led out of the stadium all by himself with like an escort. It's that that part is so stupid. And as you mentioned, that should not warrant an ejection from the national championship game. And maybe because it was the national championship game and a lot of first time college football watchers, like big national media people, as you mentioned, like Skip Bayless's third college football game, maybe this year, um, Maybe enough pressure will be placed where they fix it because that shouldn't happen. That was so stupid. I've never thought the ejection was a good rule. It maybe make it like the personal foul thing to where it's like if you get a call for targeting twice, then you're out. Because I mean, if you get called for targeting twice in a game, like like you either got really bad luck or you're doing something wrong. Like one just seems like a quick trigger because whatever that kid's name is, and I think he had a last name that was hard to pronounce, which would make sense for a white linebacker with a gigantic neck roll. I, I just I like I, I like that was a big part of their defense, and I think him getting tossed from the game is is rather silly when you talk about punishment fitting the crime. Like, like it's almost like the rules of golf to where you're like, how in the world is this punishment just? But it is what it does. LSU wins the game. Cool celebration afterwards. Uh, Joe Burrow and a bunch of those guys uh, just said no to the sigs and no sigs inside policy and just decided to uh, bust up a bunch of stogies inside the Superdome. Dude, that cop is such a loser, by the way. I just I couldn't decide because I, so I read it. Uh, I think it was a Yahoo story afterward. I, I couldn't decide if he's just being a hardo or he ha- he's he's he like like he's the messenger and he's getting shot because he has to like do what his commander said or his police he said. And he's just the bearer of bad news. I, I either way, I either feel bad for the cop or I dislike him. But yes, that that seems very stupid. Um, I, that I, would have been. I said this uh, at the break yesterday. But how just hard ass like metal would that mugshot have been though? With Joe Burrow with a smirk on his face, still in his pads, 
from the national championship game getting arrested because he was smoking a cigar in the locker room. Like that would have been the most badass mugshot ever. I just, I like, I don't. So they've had Super Bowls in the Superdome. I mean, the the one where the lights went out. Like, so is that is smoking cigars just a college thing? Did they not smoke cigars and they won the Super Bowl? Because that was what I was thinking. I was like, this couldn't be the first time this happened. There's no way that's the first time people have smoked cigars inside of that stadium. No way. Yeah, exactly. So like, whatever. I get policy, but like, probably let Joe Burrow do whatever he wants after that one. But cool story. What will be interesting to me, kind of finishing up on this game, is is. You know, as we talked about on the radio show, it came out, I think, while we were on air that Joe Brady was uh, leaving to become the offensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers. You lose Joe Burrow. Like, what does LSU look like the next two to three years? Does Ed, and I'm not even sure for Ed's legacy it matters anymore. I mean, he delivered a national championship to those people and really has proved everyone wrong. But, like, what's the long-term viability of this? Like, like, do they like, do they reload? Do they kind of remorph, kind of like the Sabinish and Dabo-ish dynasties, or is this kind of a one-hit wonder? Because they are going to look much different next year, if nothing else. I mean, you lose kind of the wonder kid on the offensive side, uh, the you know pass game coordinator mastermind. You know, the Brady story was very well documented this year. You lose Burrow. You know, you're probably losing a couple of receivers. Like, what do they look like next year? And, like, do they retool? And, like, maybe they're down next year, but, like, like, are they back? Are they a perennial contender, or is this just kind of a perfect storm? It's a good question because Dave Aranda, uh, I think, is, if I read it correctly, potentially interviewing for the Baylor opening. So they could lose him uh, as well on top of losing Brady and Burrow. Um, I don't know, man. I, I guess – this can work if you consistently make good hires. And I don't think LSU under Orgeron's ever going to be bad. I mean, you saw it a year ago. They bring in a transfer quarterback who joined the team after fall camp had already started. And th- this seems like I feel gross for saying this considering what he's currently dealing with. But Steve Ensminger on his own, not a great offensive coordinator. Not bad, but has a history of not being great either. Uh, so you had all that last year or two years ago now, and they still won nine games. I mean, they went nine and three, and one of them was a seven overtime loss in a game in which they they should have won uh, against Did Texas also, A&M at College uh, Station. And they also lost to Troy at home. I mean, they that were was uh, three years ago. I thought. No, I, I I just looked this up to make sure. Uh, no, they lost. That was twenty eighteen. Yeah, they lost to Troy last year because last year you you it seems like ages ago now. But last it year does. was O's first full year as a head coach. And you people were talking about, you know, he's not going to make it past the Auburn game and all that. So they were you know, a, kind of a fluky upset away from being 10-2. and two. And, you know, to your point, that includes a, uh, a overtime game with, uh, with Texas A&M. So, like, like, last year, you know, they were access bowl, beat the crap out of a banged-up UCF team. But, like, they had a good year. Not, they, they did not lose to Troy last year. 2018 football schedule. Yeah, it, my yeah, it, it was 2017. What is the what am I looking at? They 2017 is when they went to Mississippi State and got absolutely smoked. And then two weeks later, they lost to Troy at home. But then they rattled off a bunch of wins. If you remember, they won at Florida. They beat Auburn. Uh, they came to Oxford and beat Ole Miss. Uh, lost to Alabama by only 14 and won the last three games. And so everybody, That's right. Like, that was 17. You're right. You're right. I don't know what I was looking at then because when I looked up that schedule, it had them both on the – so he's been – so no, so he, I, I'm, I'm just somehow I'm missing a year. Uh, he goes 9-4 and four his first year, first full year in 17, then 10-3 and three last year, then 15. Anyway, you're right. I, I skipped a year in there. I blended two together. So, But the point is it, it's even without all of these pieces – it's not going to tank. As you've mentioned on the radio show multiple times, the LSU is one of those programs where all you need is just competence at the top, and you're winning eight, nine games every single year. Like, by default, you win football games at a place like that. So it's never tanking. He also recruits extremely well. And it's easy when you're in a state that produces more uh, talent per capita than any other state in the country. Um, but he recruits well enough to build rosters that no matter who's coaching them, offensive, defensive coordinator, whatever, uh, they can never be bad. They'll just be too talented to be bad. Yeah, and and 
Wes Miles' thing was is between the eight, nine, ten win seasons, he wasn't able to – he stopped sprinkling in the you know, 11, 12 win seasons to where you're on the verge of competing for a national title. And so you know, there's a level of complacency at programs like that to where people get sick of eight, nine win seasons in a row to where – so if Ed can kind of keep sprinkling these seasons in every year, then he'll probably coach there as long as he wants to. Um, you know, but, yeah, what a story. I mean, just – <laughs> who would have thought that guy when he left Ole Miss in 07 or whatever it was after going three and eight, four and eight, what three and nine? I think was his last year. I can't remember if they played eleven or twelve games that year. Yep, three and nine. That he would be leading LSU to a national title game. So good for Ed. It was an entertaining national title game in what was an otherwise pretty dull college football season. So good for yeah. Them. I said it yesterday. It, I mean, it sucked. Just just putting it frank, not even talking about the state that we're in, we knew on, let's see, I'll give you the exact date where we knew that it was just only going to be three teams. We knew, I think after LSU beat Florida the way they did on October 12th, that there were three teams that were good enough to win the national championship, and it was LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson, and everybody else was just playing for um, nothing. I think we knew on that day that it was one of those three teams and everybody else didn't have a shot. Healthy Alabama, maybe, but yes, other, outside of them. Like Alabama with Tua, I kind of thought might yeah, have a shot. Yeah, that would, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm but, over, uh, but still four. That. I mean, th- you're talking, you're talking about th- three or four teams. I mean, it's not like, it's not like that you're still grabbing on the edge of your seat there. I mean, because even when you, like, the one of the rare games of like, genuine intrigue you had the whole season was LSU Bama and then LSU really just kind of rolled them so like that game wasn't even compelling I didn't think last year's college football season was that interesting either but as we pointed out on the radio show yesterday when LSU is considered new blood and kind of adding to the parity in the sport uh, then that kind of underscores that there really isn't any parity in the sport if LSU is kind of considered new blood uh, in the championship mix. But, yeah, I mean, it, it was a fairly boring college football season. The gap between you know, the Blue Bloods and everyone else is growing. I mean, you had ranked games this year with, you know, 17, 18-point spreads. I, I, I hope that doesn't continue because uh, it, it made for some boring Saturdays. We had a playoff game with a two-touchdown spread. Yeah, I mean, we did. We uh, I, it was, What was it, 15 at close? Yeah, I mean, it was, and it, 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 it was not even that close. And that game should have been at 25. I mean, the fact that Oklahoma got in, you couldn't find a fourth team better than Oklahoma. It's kind of like, yeah. Like, I mean, in, the, you know, in past years, the argument in 2018 was like, well, Georgia was better than Notre Dame. Well, yeah, maybe, but then couldn't really make that argument this year because Georgia got absolutely blitzed by LSU. It kind of sucks, man. And, 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 Love hate that to death, but he's he's on the other side of the spectrum from us. He's like, oh, well, I just enjoy it. I'll watch it anyway. But, man, when you have the very next day the same sport played better with more drama, then why would I waste my time on college football? On, I mean, seriously, that's why would I waste my time on college football moving forward, just watching the casual games. Of course, while I have the job that I do, I have to pay very very close attention to Ole Miss and Mississippi State and the SEC. But as the casual fan, when the very next day the games are played better, the players are better, the coaches are better, the schemes are better, everything about it's better, and there's more drama and suspense, why would I even waste my time on college football? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, I, I know we have people that are listening to this that probably prefer college to, uh, to pro fo- to football. I, I don't get that. I don't get those people. I, I get like in this state, you have, you know, you have two college teams, so you're probably a fan of one of the two, and that's what you root for because you don't have a pro team. You know, you know Saints, Titans, I guess. Teams, yeah, I guess is my point is when Ole Miss for this podcast, when Ole Miss is not on, why do you prefer college over the NFL? Yeah, no, I, I I don't get that. I mean, I I like I don't see how you can watch that. They watch the NFL the next day, and then what the NFL is delivering product wise in the playoffs, and and enjoy the former more than the latter. But you know, just part of it, I guess. I, I I don't necessarily understand it, but you know, 
different strokes for different folks, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I, we I just, would never get the Tennessee Titans in college football ever. It would never happen. It's not going to happen. And I know "ever" is a strong word, and uh, it, it's a very long time. But the Tennessee Titans would never happen in college football. Yeah, someone, uh, someone from Banner Society, I can't remember who it was, made a decent point with regards to that. It was a very, uh, it was after the Titans beat the Patriots, and it was a uh, very interesting tweet, which is kind of a weird sentence in its own right. But I, I, I did find it a good point. It's just like, yeah, the Tennessee Titans are a good story, but imagine if you had a playoff system to where they were never in because there are too many, not enough great teams, and it didn't matter. Like basically being like, you know, like the, oh, like the. Like that to me kills the argument of the anti eighteen playoffs. Like, why do you want more of this? It's like, well, I mean, anybody can line up and beat anyone on a given day. Not anyone in college football. You get my point. An eighteen playoff, like, yeah, if you get seven crappy games and one great game and the one eight matchup, isn't that worth it? Like, why would you want less football? It's absolutely worth it. I, I don't understand that line of thinking either. Yeah. So I don't know. We're it, it's probably going to eight eventually. Like, because you mentioned the people, the suits in the room that did the targeting penalty. Those same people decided to get a fourteen playoff with five power conferences. I, I, I don't understand <laughs> how there was no hand raised guy in the room for that. Oh man! And then they'll find out that it'll make them more money, and so they'll end up doing it. I mean, that that'll be the difference. Not that we need it. It's that hey, uh, the executive over at ABC said that they'd spend an extra hundred million dollars on another playoff game uh so we should expand the playoffs like that's what it'll take and that that'll come eventually it's once they learn that there's more money to be made with more playoff games they'll do it here's the tweet the titans are a great story but what would be really awesome is if the nfl had just a four-team playoff that didn't include them because quote look there are only two or three elite teams that's well said i couldn't identify with that more and then you know, the argument was, well, the season's longer. I don't get the season longer argument and there's too many games. The FCS kids that South Dakota State team just played 16 games. I think those kids are still living okay. Yeah, and the rosters are smaller. Probably. Yeah, I think they're, I think they're going to be just fine. Every other playoff does some form of 8-16 team playoff. Like, why? That's why I, I can't just get behind college football because the you know uneven playing field, the stupid like narratives between the haves, the have-nots, I don't understand that, and the accept who's accepted to get what players. And then the playoff system is just like, like it took you this long to get to an actual playoff, then you're going to make it four teams with five leagues. I, I, I don't understand who's – college football just needs a commissioner that's like, hey, like let's stop doing dumb shit is basically, I guess, what I'm saying. So That's what it does. I think we talked about it. Uh, Richard and I, before you came on the show, we spent a full day talking about what a college football commissioner would do and what it would look like and why they need one. Um, that still holds true. They need a commissioner for college. It's too big now. Ba- they've got basketball figured out because your your championship has 68 teams in it. So, I mean, what tweaking can college basketball have other than, you know, a few rule changes here or there, maybe going to quarters, which would really help. Uh, the the back end of these halves where it's just a free throw contest, uh, may, adding some NBA rules to stop the amount of free throws and pauses in games, whatever. But college basketball is fine. It doesn't need that much tweaking. Football needs a lot of work, and the NCAA is not going to do it. Hire a commissioner and let them run the show, just like Roger Goodell does for the NFL, and everything would be so much easier. I agree, but that would make all too much sense. So, a couple other things I guess we could get to before we get out of here is, one, you got the baseball sign stealing thing going on. It broke last night that the Red Sox have fired manager Alex Cora. Oh, who, no, they mutually parted ways. Yeah, which is interesting because I wonder like what that actually – because I was reading they did have meetings or whatever – and it did sound like keeping him was on the table, but I just don't understand if you're Alex Cora. Like, to me, that meeting, you've been caught red-handed. You've got one team's World Series tainted. You've probably got your own uh, tainted in some ways. Like, how is that meeting not just them demanding, like, them saying what's going to happen and you saying, yes, please let me keep my job? Because it sounded like there was some sort of negotiation going on about how to navigate what's it probably going to be a year-long suspension at least like I, I don't I don't understand what negotiation tactics were going on there I, I don't understand what uh what leverage Mr. Cora had in this one so I, either that's just completely made up and there was just this firing or he's not that smart I don't really understand that but he's been fired so now you've had two managers uh 
to use a soccer term, sacked because of this scandal. Nice. I think uh, I, I think AJ Hinch, the Astros manager, got a little bit of a raw deal here because I think Cora is probably to blame here. But again, I don't understand. Like reading that report, that the baffling part about it to me is how AJ Hinch knew about it going on in 2017 with the Astros, didn't approve of it, didn't like it, but instead of telling them to stop doing it, he just decided to smash the TV monitor with a baseball bat twice. That, to me, is one of the all-time baffling moves in sports. I'd, uh, I don't really understand that. Like, I, I don't, for, for a guy whose like, sole job is to communicate and to manage personalities in a 162-game season to where people get sick of each other in the clubhouse, how is your form of communication uh, just like to smash it like a pinata instead of just say, hey, let's stop doing this shit? I, 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 I'll never understand that part. But you ready for that? a super alpha male take on that? Yeah, go ahead. That, that is a weak man move right there. Like that passive aggressive BS as the team's manager, that is like, that is the weakest, most beta shit I've ever heard in my life. It's your team. If you don't like it, end it. But this. Uh, I'm going to destroy the camera and then not do anything about it when they put another one up there. Like, grow a sack, man. What are you doing? Yeah, I just don't get it. It's a weird move. Like, I, I, It doesn't I, make I sense. It, it makes no sense, and it cost him his job, and it cost the— uh, You kind of deserve to lose your job when that's the way you handled that in your own dugout, man. Yeah, that's the kind of what I was thinking is just like sheer— Like, I kind of felt bad for him. I was like, no, this is just sheer stupidity. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of people that genuine baseball circles that genuinely believe this taints the Astros World Series. I don't know where I necessarily fall on that because it did say in the report, I don't know, like the guy that wrote the report, which I can't I can't figure out if it was Manfred himself or some kind of an independent investigator. But it's like it's basically I'm not in a position to decide whether this gave an advantage or not. But, uh, you know, this at least gave the illusion of nefarious at play and maybe a competitive disadvantage. So you have to be punished accordingly. I don't know where I fall on that. You uh, Darvish was terrible in the 2017 World Series, and really his reputation hasn't recovered since. I, you know, one of those games, if I'm not mistaken, was in Houston. One was in Los Angeles. Like the game seven where he lasted like three outs was in L.A. So how much does that factor in? Because they were only doing a home games. I don't necessarily get it, but uh, this is just kind of wild to see because you've never really seen anything like this with sign stealing. Because like when you're not doing it, like back in the day, sign stealing was kind of considered a uh, – a skill but now with all the technological advances like it you know there's a right way and i guess wrong way to steal signs now and like obviously you know using electronic devices to do it definitely illegal but it's just wild to see it finally get busted on a widespread scale whereas i don't know like how many teams are going to end up getting implicated or what this changes about baseball but you do have two of the three best teams in the sport now without managers this year and just kind of a a weird cloud of controversy going into the 2019-2020 baseball season uh, where the Yankees should be a prohibitive favorite, but like the Astros and Red Sox were considered supposed to be very viable and like they're still going to be good. It's just going to be weird feel to this year, I feel like. Yeah, uh, and I just I wonder how much that actually helps. I guess that's the, the biggest question that I have is – in your opinion, how much did what they were doing actually help them win? Because I think, it, just for drama purposes, I think it would have been funny to see a World Series title stripped. Because that's relatively unprecedented. I know that kind of crap happens in college, but that's a paper penalty. But in in professional sports, having that title stripped, I think, would would hit differently. And I can't remember that ever happening. So, for drama, I think, yeah, they should have pulled it just to see what the reaction would have been. But... Did it really help them to the point where they won the World Series when they otherwise wouldn't have without doing that? I don't know. Because, like, I don't – I didn't play baseball at a high enough level to know, like, how much that helps. And I imagine it depends on the hitter. But, I mean, part of, like, deciphering pitches is picking up what the spin's going to be out of the pitcher's hand and figuring out – you know, you have a split second to figure out – whether it's a curb, I mean, whether it's a breaking ball or a fastball, and then you have to figure out where it's going, and then you have to make contact basically in the blink of an eye. So before the guy the ball leaves his hand, if you know what kind of pitch is coming, whether it's going to be a fastball or it's going to have some spin to it, I imagine that would help. So I think it does create an advantage, but maybe with some hitters they don't want to know it's coming or that's distracting listening to a trash can noise. 
I don't know. I just think they probably shouldn't have done it. It's basically kind of where I fall on this. So I, I, I don't know how much of an advantage it actually created. I don't think we'll ever know because it's all subjectivity. I mean, the Astros were a better road team than they were a home team in 17, but how much does that matter? I don't know. Just kind of a weird story that I'm kind of fascinated to see what the uh, ripple effects from all of this ends up being. Um, one last thing. I guess we, we don't have the LBs pick them today. We'll do that on Friday with the NFC Conference Championship Games. Uh, we'll get into that with Titans, Chiefs, and then Packers, Niners, along with Mailbag Friday and all that. But the last thing I guess we can get to before we get here, Missouri State apparently has been looking for a football coach, which... Uh, I'm about to do a quick Google search while you talk for a second, but why do you figure they're having a coaching search in late January? What do you think happened? Just guess before I look this up. If I had to guess, uh, late January, uh, NCAA issue or some kind of scandal, you don't just fire a coach at this point, right? Unless something happened. Like even Mississippi state was later in the process because, um, their quarterback got punched out of the bowl game. You had multiple players missing bowl practice, and the program was uh, completely off the rails. Um, but if, if you're Missouri State, who doesn't play in bowl games, had to have been some kind of scandal. Yeah. See, now what pisses me off about Google is like you now when you Google Missouri State football, you can't figure out why there was actually uh, – there was actually – Oh, here we go. Doesn't really find, say uh, why. Just said Dave he accepted Steckel. a buyout. Yeah, just said he accepted a buyout. It went. Oh, well, he was thirteen and forty-two in five seasons. That that doesn't seem great. But he was what a former so zoo assistant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> why are you doing this in January? I, I that. So I guess there's really no clear answer. That's weird. But anyway. Uh, their finalists were Bobby Petrino and Art Bryles. Uh, so was this just a, hey, we don't give a shit, we want to have somebody to win, or did they want Petrino all along and they just decided to float Bryles' name out there to get everyone wild, riled up? That way when you hire Petrino over Bryles, everyone's like, oh, thank God it wasn't Bryles. Because that's kind of a power move. That's pretty smart PR right there, is just floating that out even though you're never hiring him. I think Bomani Jones said that was uh... – uh, he thinks that that was the case. And if that's really what they did, I mean, I guess kudos to them. But having those two guys tied to your program is probably uh, not the best way to go about it. Petrino's making 250 a year for the next four years at the at Missouri State. This is a dead-end deal, though. Do you see Petrino getting back into major college football? I don't. I think his chances are probably toast. Oh, you'd be surprised, man. I mean, we talked about it a little bit yesterday just because it was the the biggest news in college football, even though it was the day after the national championship. Uh, I mean, uh, James Franklin's still a coach, and what happened to him in his program at Vanderbilt did not stop him from getting a job at Penn State, and the Freedom Fighter media just completely have ignored that for the last couple of years until they're back in the spotlight again. I don't know. I... um, if you're good enough, you can find a way back into coaching. Yeah, but I guess that's my thing. Is like, is he like he one? He doesn't seem to be good enough. But if he's winning at Missouri State, is someone maybe someone is giving him another job? I don't know. I just uh, what a coaching search! Like, if those are your two finalists, holy cow! Like, what like what kind of uh, like I don't know if they had a committee or if it was just one Feels guy. Like, like you like, could have hired somebody, not him. And been okay. Uh, yeah, I would say that's pretty safe to assume. But like, I just, I just wonder in the Missouri athletic, Missouri State athletics meeting room where they're like, "All right, we're down to two guys." Like, how did no one in the room just be like, "Hey, how did we get here?" Like, I, how are these our two finalists? But uh, I guess they either don't care, or I, I don't know. The answer's beyond me. But I, I read that this morning as I was drinking coffee. It's, it's a conflicting reports on whether Art Bryles or Bobby Petrino will be the next. Uh, will be the next um, uh, football coach at uh, Missouri State. And I was like, good Lord, what a uh, what a couple of options. Like, Jesus. I would like, like to know who option number three was. Yeah, no kidding. Like, was it Mike Vick? Like, I don't even know what a third comparable one would be. But, uh, <laughs> I, yeah. What Mike a, Vick uh, would be viewed more favorably than either of those two guys, to be honest. He's done a very good 
image reclamation project. He has. And coincidentally enough, Mike Vick's kind of what killed uh, Petrino's time with the Falcons. He takes a gig and then Vick goes to prison for dogfighting and the Falcons stink for a year and a half or whatever it was. And Petrino leaves less, you know, in the middle of the season. What a guy. Can you imagine a team, a, a guy leaving on his own? From the NFL nowadays, like like that would have broken the internet back then. It wasn't like he got fired with a bunch of games left in the season. Petrino left the Falcons in the dark of the night to take the Arkansas job, just in the middle of the football season. Didn't he uh, like put letter, like send a group text or something, or like put letters in all the players' locker that that he just printed out and didn't sign, something like that? Yeah, I think all they got was some sort of like crappy letter or. Uh, <laughs> Or, or it's like it was basically a letter or a text or or something. But he, uh, so he didn't even last a year. But the, to in his defense, the major reason he was hired is to kind of develop Mike Leach into, excuse me, Michael Vick into a more complete quarterback. Then he goes to prison. They go three and ten, and with three games left, he's just like, actually, I'm out of here. I'm taking the Arkansas job. A four sentence laminated note left in the locker of each player. What a guy. Does it say what the note said? It does not. Wikipedia does not. But uh, oh, man. <laughs> that uh, yeah, I heard a couple stories about that guy. That uh, and like for the record, I don't know for a hundred percent fact that this is completely true. But I, I've heard stories of him, like when he took the Falcons job, that uh, Blank threw him a cocktail party as like a welcoming thing, and he no showed it. And he's like, I don't do cocktail parties. Sheesh. <laughs> so he uh, doesn't sound like the swellest what guy. What a guy. Either. He does have an affinity for motorcycles, so, uh, you know, maybe he rode his motorcycle to Fayetteville. I don't know, but, uh, yeah, what what a guy and what a coaching search you got going on there. But uh, I think that's all we got for today. It's kind of a lighter show. I mean, uh, football ending, you know, the basketball teams in the state not doing well, though our resident uh, uh, Vegas Dick, Dick Cross yesterday, said, first of all, once he heard the Bree and Tyree news, he was like, "I'm before this moves, I'm throwing money on uh, – uh, Florida minus 11, and that hits. And then he goes, I really love Mississippi State minus two against Missouri, and State beat them by, what, like 25? Yeah, uh, maybe even more than that, if I remember. I turned it off once the game was completely in doubt. But, yeah, uh, Missouri's awful. And uh, you want to talk about hires that were universally praised, and then they got, who was it, Michael Porter Jr., who was a five-star. They hired his dad or something to be on the staff, and everybody thought that Missouri was going to be the next, or Missouri was back because it was a basketball school, and uh, they've just been shitty ever since. Yeah, I mean, Michael Porter Jr. played, what, like two, like he played like a game and a half, then came back for their NCAA tournament loss, like just never really panned out for uh Completely different note. He's kind of balling for the uh, Nuggets now. That could be a big kind of playoff storyline changer uh, if he's able actually to be kind of a contributor for them and and kind of uh, kind of blossom into what most people thought he would be. But yeah, uh, Missouri not very good. But State blew the brakes on last night, and our uh, our friend Dick Cross got rich. Maybe he'll quit his job as a radio show and just become a Vegas Vegas Dick. That'd be good for me. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> Richard sitting courtside at Lakers games with a big chain uh, on. Just and the purse. About how, Don't forget the yeah, purse. Yeah, that's right. Uh, how, who like I, when, so? I, I guess that's another thing we can get out of here for because somebody answered me this. Where did Vegas Dave come from? Like, why is he just now coming on the scene? Like, do you know anything like about this man? I don't know anything about him. I know <laughs> that he uh, he tweets uh, his locks, and when they don't hit, he deletes them. He deletes them. <laughs> but, like, he's just all of a sudden in the last six months become like internet famous because you know there's a thousand just fraud handicappers out there that you know making up numbers about how good their picks are and sending out picks. I'm just curious how Vegas Dave was on the scene. I mean, he was sitting courtside of the Lakers game and getting like some camera time, and I'm just like, how did this happen? Like, how? how I don't know. Like, I would like to have a run of being that famous for like five months. Then I would just cash in off of it for the rest of my life. But yeah, I don't know where this Vegas Dave guy came from. But uh, uh, he, in May of 2019, was banned from Vegas sports books for three years. For what? He pled guilty to uh, a misdemeanor for. Uh, he faced 19 felony counts of. Okay. Uh, scrolling through the article quickly. Um, he used other people's social security numbers to open player accounts at casinos. 
So he's just having multiple accounts. This guy seems like a real straight shooter. I don't know Transactions why that amounted to more than $1.2 million. Jesus. Yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, that guy is shady. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe, I can't believe his locks don't always hit. I figured he's a pretty cut and dry, uh, straight shooting guy. But anyway, maybe, uh, Richard Cross will turn into a, uh, a more uh, wholesome version of Vegas Dave. But anyway, that uh, that got off the rails quickly. But we'll be back on uh, Friday with Mailbag Friday. Please send me your questions. We had a little bit of a weak turnout last time, so I'm now challenging the listener. If you're listening right now, text me, tweet me, email me, just some sort of question. I know something's on your mind. For Mailbag Friday, um, remind you one more time, go see Greg, University Avenue, across from Kroger, LB's best place in Mississippi to get meat. Steaks, custom cuts, daily specials, plate lunches. You can go in there and grab a bite to eat, then figure out what you want to throw on the grill for later. Baseball season coming up. He's got baseball game packs to where it's got like some sausage and some other stuff you can kind of throw on one of those smaller grills out in left or right field. It's uh, perfect for a baseball game, baseball weekend. But uh, all kinds of specials. Go check him out. Uh, University Avenue across from Kroger. Really appreciate Greg and LB's. Um, That's about all I got. We'll be back at it for Mailbag Friday. I'll probably have that interview with Bracken up just tomorrow uh so that'll be kind of a shorter 25 30 minute thing that i've kind of done before talking about old miss hoops if you for, for some whatever reason still interested in that but uh unless you got anything else i'm gonna get out of here we'll be back at it on friday that's it man although uh, you're a grizzlies fan aren't you yes i uh oh well, i'd say grizzlies fan not really but like i once i got into the nba i get their games every night so they become kind of an interesting follow and watch uh, I retweeted this last night, and I had no – because I don't listen to Brian Windhorst's podcast. Um, but I, I, I retweeted somebody that said, Grizzlies are playing so well that ESPN is going to start talking about John Morant's 2023 free agency. <laughs> and it turns out that on Brian Windhorst's podcast, like three days ago, they talked about him and Triple J's free agency coming up in uh, two and three years on their podcast. Like not even – fathoming the idea that they could stick around just oh yeah they're playing so well that in three years here's where they should go yeah and that's what bothers me about the nba is the whole next move stuff i get it for like the superstars but like when you're talking about dudes on rookie deals where they might go in three years like come on like it's just ridiculous like just enjoy it for a while my god and maybe he does stay in memphis i don't know i mean he could brandon ingram's gonna stay in new orleans like maybe and, and what's crazy, well, they can, they, there's a there's a middle tier of contract before they get to the big supermax one, right? So the odds are is he would stay in Memphis for the next four or five years, and then the second free agency is the big one. Am I not? Yeah, if I'm that's mistaken? why Anthony Davis was in New Orleans for seven years and not five, because right. that, because they could offer him by far the most money after his rookie deal, and then he took that and then entered free agency to get uh, what will be a massive contract. Uh, this summer uh, from the Lakers. But, like, they're talking about Giannis going from the team with the best record in the NBA to the team with the worst record in the NBA. Like, that's the conversation, is he should leave Milwaukee, the best record in the NBA, to go play for Golden State, who has the worst. And I know they've got injuries, and once they get healthy, they'll be really good again. But still, that's the conversation. Yeah, I like the NBA, but I don't like the... The I like players having autonomy to do what they want, and like it's like if you say anything else, you're like anti-player now. But I, I don't like dudes just leaving with two, three years left on their contracts. I'd like to see guys stay in cities for longer and actually build more good teams and build more good rivalries. But I'm not like uh, the non like I don't like. I'm also not going. Well, these guys aren't loyal because it's professional sports. There really is no loyalty. I just wish they'd fix it to where it isn't so top-heavy in the same big markets. Getting all of the free agents and the small market team just being like, well, we didn't win while he was on his rookie deal, so we're screwed. Um, but good for good for Memphis. They're playing. They're a fun watch. They're probably going to make the playoffs, and John Morant looks like he's maybe. Like, here's the, I don't know if this is considered a hot take at this point because I'd like to see Zion in action first. But, like, I mean, even if Zion plays and plays good, there's probably still an argument that, John Morant might could have been the number one pick. I mean, he looks like the real deal for the next decade and a half. I mean, he's he's unbelievable now. Yeah, and it, you're uh, you were about to mention rookie of the year, right? Yeah, I mean he, that that's going to him. 
Right, and Zion's only got 40 games to do it. So there's talk about him coming back uh, against Utah on Thursday, so I guess tomorrow. Uh, But that's not a national TV game. I suspect it's going to happen Saturday when they have the Clippers on ABC. Interesting. It's one of those two games, though. I mean, he's ready to go. He's doing between-the-legs dunks and shit before games. I mean, he is ready. It's They're going to practice today, and if there's no – Concern after practice, uh, he's coming back this week. Well, that'll be interesting. So I am uh, looking forward to that. Happy for the uh, happy for the Grizzlies. That's a uh, at least they're a fun team, and it's happening. Seems like uh, sooner than they thought because you know they were kind of them and possibly Phoenix were the kind of the two teams in the West where like, guy these two don't have a chance, and they've both been pretty good. And it's actually gone been elsewhere where the teams have been a bunch worse so interesting nba season coming up that's going to really get cranked up with trade deadline and then of course playoffs this summer and all that so looking forward to that but we will be back at it on friday with mailbag friday if you like what you heard today like and subscribe to the podcast tell your friends about the podcast uh i had a buddy of mine who listened to this send me a link for uh t-shirts and so uh, the people's holiday t-shirts may actually be a possibility. Uh, I stink at designing stuff. So if anyone would like to design a t-shirt and send it to me, I could probably make it happen. So that Wait, is Wait, you have a t-shirt guy? Uh, no, I don't have a t-shirt guy. I have a friend <laughs> that made t-shirts for some other reason and sent me a link after he heard us talking about it last week. It was like, uh, hey, like this is a really easy way to make t-shirts or whatever. Like it seems like it seems du- like I, like even someone like me that's dumb could probably handle it at least for me perusing so the link. So you kind of have a t-shirt guy. Yeah, I guess I do kind of have a t-shirt guy. Uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, he knows who he is listening, so you're now my t-shirt <laughs> t-shirt guy. But uh, those those might be coming. I'll uh, kick well, the tire. He needs on to that help actually. me get uh, some Jackson General shirts because I jokingly tweeted that I wanted to make Jackson General shirts, and I got like seven DMs from random people that were like, "Hey." Uh, if you make those, I'm buying. I actually have hats. My uh, my little league baseball team when I was 12 and 13 were the Jackson not Generals. Generals Bandits. I meant the hockey. Oh, sorry. Dang, the Bandits logo was way better. But we did. Uh, yeah, Generals were a double A team in Jackson back in the day, and we had their logo on our youth baseball team. It was pretty sweet. Uh, we we were we were pretty good. No big deal. 12 U state champions. Not not to brag, but uh, yeah, I would be bad. Uh, I would be up for. Bandits logo. I just we, we need to get a hockey team back in this state. We do, and I looked up the uh, the trademarks, and seemingly all of them have expired. So we won't have to worry about people trying to come take our money when we sell the shit out of those shirts. Yeah, that's perfect. So uh, the no no legalities, uh, no legal roadblocks uh, blocking our path to getting rich and not having to do podcasts anymore. So that's awesome. We yeah. will. Uh, if you have any T-shirt ideas, trademark ideas, ways to get a minor league hockey team to Mississippi, uh, let us know. We'll read it on Mailback Friday. So for, uh, <laughs> for, for Michael Borky, I'm Brian Scott Ruby. We appreciate you guys tuning in. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.